Catch Up With Cat. Hello and welcome to Catch Up With Cat with me, Cat Harvey. The wee show with big dreams of hopefully being able to make things a little bit better. Today I'm joined for a catch up by writer, blogger, community gardener and gardening coach MT O'Donnell from the Pink Wheelbarrow website. Good morning, how are you? Good morning Kat, I'm fabulous and yourself? Oh, not too bad, not too bad at all. I love the name, the Pink Wheelbarrow. Tell us all about that, where did it come from? (laughs) Well, there's really nothing scientific behind it. I have a pink wheelbarrow. Oh. When I juggled, when, <laughs> I know, when I juggled around lots of names um, for the name of my blog when I started it, you know, I had lots and lots of names, and I sent them out to different friends and asked their opinion. <laughs> and then eventually, I just sat looking at my pink wheelbarrow and thought, I'm just going to call it my pink wheelbarrow because I use that every day when I'm gardening. Oh, amazing! A lovely little story there. And how did you get into gardening in the first place? Then is it something you've always done? I actually, always I think been a closet gardener. Um, and I didn't come out, I think, until um, later because gardening for years was seen as the preserve of the Blue Rinse Brigade and it wasn't something trendy. But Fishers did a study a couple of years ago and they found that the average age at which people get into gardening is around 41. So once I passed that watershed, I thought it was safe to come out of the shed then. You, know? <laughs> you could embrace your own green fingers and be <laughs> proud, proud of your... Yeah, yeah. Your... My mum was a great, great gardener and um, I just wish I'd asked her more before we lost her because I feel like, I feel like I've been imbued with this knowledge genetically. But I just wish I'd been able to ask her, ask her you, more. You but of course, have... it's very... Yeah, it's very trendy now to be a gardener because there's a whole new generation of Insta gardeners um, and Instagram feed is full of beautiful pictures of flowers and fruit and vegetables and things. So it's okay, it's okay to come out of your sheds now and, and claim to be a gardener. <laughs> come out of your sheds, what a lovely image. And um, I guess during lockdown, there's been plenty of occasions for people to address their garden that they might not have shown enough love to in the past. Absolutely. I really think and I really hope that one of the things that comes out of lockdown is that it's going to make us all a nation of gardeners. The gardening addresses all of the physical, mental and emotional well-being needs that we have. I mean, physically, you can use your garden as your gym. You get that also gives you fresh air and a good dose of vitamin D that helps you to sleep better at night. But the mental and emotional well-being benefits of gardening um, are just so well documented now. There's such a growing body of research to show all of the benefits that gardening can bring. So for lockdown or during lockdown, for example, I think the garden is a great place of retreat from people. You know, it's it's a great place of solace to maybe take yourself away from the news cycle for a little while. It's somewhere that's restorative, it can be healing. We have to be reminded that there are lots of people who've maybe suffered great losses during you know this pandemic and and being outside in a natural green space it can give people a wee bit of you know a wee bit of restorative healing just a nice place of solace as well but there are so many other benefits that gardening brings in terms of the great stress buster it allows you to focus your attention on something other than yourself and of course the news cycle just now so i've always been really keen um, and really passionate about promoting all of the mental and, and and well-being benefits of gardening, but I think it's taken a pandemic for the wider populace to realise that and to maybe embrace it, which if that comes out of lockdown as one of the benefits that people have embraced gardening more than job done. Absolutely. And have you noticed an uptake in people wanting to maybe grow some of their own food, like herbs or even fruit and vegetables and things? Have you noticed people wanting to do a bit more of that? Yes, absolutely. I think lots of people during lockdown have been looking for a project and given that we could only get outside you know, for exercise once a day, but you can get into your own garden, 
oh my goodness, yeah, the hits uh, across the internet about growing your own have, you know, grown. And um, certainly I've been giving a lot more advice about growing your own. I've been doing Facebook and Insta Lives. And it's wonderful to see so many people interested in, in growing their own. I also wonder if there's a, a little bit of the kind of post-Brexit thinking there as well, that people are a wee bit scared that maybe, you know, we're going to run out of food at some point or, or fresh food. So if we can now get into that, then, oh my goodness, it's great. And of course, people have been looking for lots and lots of projects to do with their children. So if you can get your children out into the garden, get them gainfully employed in our growing your own exercise, then, you know, you're ticking all the boxes there. Now, kids love playing in the garden and, and making stuff. What would you suggest you could do with a family to, to give them something that they can watch progress, if you know what I mean, and finally eat? <laughs> well, the, the kind of advice I've been giving to people when they've been asking about what could they grow with their children, um, I, I kind of got two pieces of advice. First thing is to choose something to let your children grow, which they actually love to eat. There's no point in growing, sowing and growing Brussels sprouts with your children if they will not eat them. Chocolate, <laughs> cocoa beans. That, yeah, something like that would be great. A wee sweetie shop in your back garden, you know. Um, is that possible? Or, or oh, money. Like... Now, money would okay. not be a good one. We could grow a money tree. Oh, if you've but got grow... the seeds for that, you'd be a millionaire. Um, oh, bit like, wouldn't like, I just... Strawberries or something? Is that something you would recommend? Because like all kids Absolutely. love strawberries. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's literally the most popular one. I always recommend to grow strawberries with your children because if they love to eat strawberries normally, then they will anticipate that growing process. They'll be looking forward to them growing. And strawberries is a fantastic one to grow with your children because it allows you to teach them about the interconnectedness of, of everything on the planet. So. For example, the strawberries, if you've got strawberries in your garden right now in Scotland, I mean, in England, they've been out for a while. But right here, right now, your strawberries should be starting to have a little flower on them, generally a white flower. Unless the bees pollinate that flower, you won't end up with a fruit. So it's a great crop to be able to teach your children that oh. we need bees. Yeah, we need bees to pollinate the fruit or we don't get a crop. And it just allows, you know, we're talking about homeschooling, but homeschooling doesn't have to be just inside the confines of your four walls. Take them into the garden and show them that without the bee population, we wouldn't have fruit naturally pollinated. So that allows you then a bigger scope to then go on and say, so let's plant some more flowers in our garden, which would attract <laughs> Brilliant. A bit of science thrown in with their dinner. I love it. Think about growing um, a crop which you can sow and it'll grow really, really quickly because children have a short attention span. And if you really want to get them engaged, so something like cress, which will generate within seven to ten days or Primary school, didn't you? Yeah. You grew cress in, in little rows. I remember that now. Yeah, or cre- um, cressets. I've, I've been um, shouting about a great one and loads of parents have done it. I've just had loads of lovely pictures sent in. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm telling people you don't need any specialist equipment whatsoever. You can literally reuse, repurpose and recycle all of your household waste. So keep your yoghurt pots and grow cress heads in them. Keep all those, you know, those plastic fruit boxes that your tomato will yeah. come in. They make great, great little seed starters. Keep your milk cartons for growing things in. You can cut them in two. And the biggest one that had the most success when I did a live video about this was showing people how to repurpose toilet roll holders. If you keep <laughs> your loo rolls and so pea, dried peas into them, if you can't get, you know, peas from a, a garden centre online, you can just use dried peas that you can buy in the supermarket. Pop a pea in each empty lural holder with some soil and that will grow pea shoots. Oh, what can we do if we don't have an outdoor space, maybe living in flats or 
high rise or something. Can we still get involved in all this growing and the recycling and using of the toilet rolls? Well, absolutely, absolutely. So if you don't have a garden, lots of people might have access to a balcony or you can grow lots of things in your balcony. Or even if you don't, you can have a pot at your front or your back door with a supply of fresh herbs. Now, herbs are lovely because they look pretty, but they're also productive. So growing things like, like chives, which um, they pop with a lovely like lilac purple flower. But you can chop chives and just use them as spring onions. Or you can grow rosemary or grow thyme or grow mint, all of these things which you can add to your cooking or your cocktails. And if you don't have access, if you don't have access to even just somewhere you can put a pot, lots of people maybe living in flats have access to a communal garden. And wouldn't that be a really nice thing to start as a group within your, your block of flats or your apartment block? And to have a little raised bed even, or a couple of pots where if you've got permission from everybody else, just pop a little note through their door to be able to grow even salad crops that everyone could join in and share with. And you never know, you know, that'll bring people together this year, but it may grow into something more for next year. And, you know, you may end up with your own little allotment in your back garden. MT O'Donnell, thank you for joining me for a catch up. Thank you so much. <laughs> catch up with Kat. We're in this together. So I'm joined for a catch up this afternoon by Kylie Reid, who is the creator of Scotland's largest online and offline platform for women. And it's called Egg. Good afternoon, Kylie. How are you? I am very well, Kat. How are you? You sound very, very happy. <laughs> it's living in this cupboard. It's turning me a bit bonkers. But uh, do you know what? I'm actually doing really, really well today. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I always like having a wee catch up with people. So that, that keeps me cheery. So I need to get to the basics first, Kylie. Tell us all about egg. What is egg and what do you do? What is egg? Egg, well, egg is a platform for women, a platform for women that connects and celebrates women. I am a Glasgow girl, um, like you, but I moved to Edinburgh about eight years ago. And when I came to Edinburgh, I knew no one. I was like, oh my God, I have zero friends here. How do I know where to go and get my hair? You know, all, all the really important things, Kat. Where do I get my hair cut? It wasn't anything you know, financial or health. It was who is going to cut my hair in Edinburgh. Where do you get a nice cocktail? Where do you get a nice dinner? These kind of things. Exactly. All the main <laughs> priorities. So I was looking for that group. I was looking for that group of women who would help, you know, who knew Edinburgh, who would help helped me find these amazing places and I couldn't find it. So I set it up and back then it was Edinburgh Gossip Girls and was really a platform to connect and support, but also to, you know, raise a profile and to support the independent businesses of which there are many. And the platform grew very quickly um, and really soon it became much more than a place just to recommend. It became a place where we really connected, people shared, lots of emotional stuff we fundraised we you know it was just a really lovely safe space and um, I took the decision to change the name to Egg because we moved into different cities so we're now across Scotland and also because we're more than just gossip you know we really do have a heart and um, a really nice place to hang out and yeah there is some gossip but there's there's much more than that so it's been an absolute joy and I have to say more than ever during lockdown, it has been an amazing support to me and many others. So how has it been different then during lockdown, the way that people have been using egg? Have you noticed that they're more, I think, focused on maybe connecting with people? 
There's certainly been an increase in engagement. Uh, I looked at the kind of stats when lockdown was first announced and it was off the scale, you know, in terms of the week before. And I think that was, you know, a totally understandable people reaching out going, what on earth is happening? Um, and looking for advice. Yeah, looking for support. There was loads of lovely girls by themselves, living by themselves and really wanting to reach out and connect online. So it's been used differently. Well, I mean, it's been used, it has been used differently it's been used a lot more and what I'm seeing are just more shows of kindness um, there were so many shows of kindness that people were emailing me going oh you need to do something to like reward these people there's so many lovely acts of charitable fundraising of um, people making PPE equipment from 3d printers I mean I don't even I still don't even know how that works how on earth do you make yeah. A bit of personal equipment from a printer is unbelievable. But there were people doing that all over um, Edinburgh and beyond. And we decided actually, going back to the Good Egg, to do a Good Egg Awards and to celebrate all those acts of kindness, all those brilliant acts. So... Um, yeah, it's just being used more and for more good. Don't get me wrong, it has been an emotional time and there's been, you know, I've had to do a lot more of the kind of hands-on managing of the group just to make sure that we do all stay friends. But, you know, it's completely understandable. Our emotions are all over the place right now. So, uh, but it seems to, it seems to, it seems to have eased off a bit now. We're all quite calm and um, yeah, it's been, as I said, a really nice place to hang out and a great, a great source of support. It sounds like you're doing an absolutely amazing job, Kylie, and so much good kind of nice connections getting made there with ladies all over Scotland, as you said, not just Edinburgh anymore, all over Scotland. So I wish you all the best with your idea. Good luck to all the good eggs out there. That has been a cracking wee interview and uh, you'll be fine when you come out your shell. Oh, nice. You're so good at cracking those yolks, Cass. Oh, I know. I must must go because my brain is fried. I'll speak to you later. (laughs) We all know that our four-legged canine friends can be amazing, but this next story is quite incredible. Joining me for a catch-up is Jeanette King to talk about dementia dogs. Hello, Jeanette. How are you today? I'm very well. I've just got back from a walk along the beach um so the start of a perfect day sounds fabulous now tell me all about john and tell me about lenny as well please okay uh john was diagnosed with alzheimer's in 2016 in the autumn um so it wasn't altogether a shock because uh, you know there were lots of signs that this was what was happening so um it must have been about 18 months after that uh, and we were talking to his uh, psychiatric nurse about his depression and she had just got a new dog and um she knew that john liked dogs so she said have you ever thought of getting a dog it might you know help the mood I took a deep breath at this point um, (laughs) because I've never liked dogs and I particularly don't like big black dogs. So it's been one of the greatest ironies of my life that I now find myself besotted (laughs) with this big black beast. We didn't think we'd cope with a a new puppy or... um, or a a rescue dog that might come with all sorts of problems. Uh, And then my daughter, who works for the NHS, 
heard about this new project with the uh, dementia dogs. I've actually never heard of dementia dogs. I mean, is this a, a, like quite a new project? Completely new. It's uh, we're Scotland's a world leader in this one, but it's obviously a very sm a very small scale pilot study. So we just felt we were so so lucky to be given this wonderful dog. So what kind of dog is he? He's a Labrador, a black Labrador. A Labrador. So, he's, so Lenny is a big black Labrador and I know he went under, I think, two years of intensive training. That's right. What kind of skills does he have? What can what can he do? What, what makes him a dementia dog, Jeanette? Well, there are some practical things. Um, when a timer goes off twice a day, then um, mm -hmm. he brings a little pouch to John to remind him to take his medicine. That, that's amazing. It's pretty cool to see him. Um, <laughs> and he's learning to open and shut the door. Well, Jeanette, it, it sounds like an absolutely incredible organisation and it sounds like Lenny is an absolute key part of your family now. Oh, he is. I love the fact that he can... He can bring the medication. Yes. You know, he, he hears the timer and he brings the medication. That's blown me away. It's absolutely fabulous. Yeah. So, listen, thank you so much for joining me for a wee catch-up and to tell me all about Lenny and John and Dementia Dogs. And I wish you and John and Lenny all the best and good luck with everything going forward. Thank you very much indeed. I'm always happy to talk about Lenny. Stopping me is the usual <laughs> problem. Catch up with Kat. We're in this together. Joining me for a catch up this evening is Michelle Evans, Head of Wellbeing at PFA Scotland. That's the Scottish Football Players Union. Thanks for joining me, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you today? Not bad at all, not bad. Now, Michelle, we have been friends for over 20 years. I must point that out in case anyone wonders how we know each other. And I know that you do know this subject inside out. It's been your job, your hobby, your passion for as long as I've known you. And football is going through the ringer at the moment. H how are you dealing with all of this? It's been a really, really tough time. You probably know that more than most because you're one of the mm. people I turn to to help me when I'm having a bit of a bad time. Um, yeah, it's really stressful. We've got lots of players out of contract, not knowing when they're going to get their next paycheck, basically, because you know, we know that the Premiership have got permission for a possible restart on August the 1st, but below that, you know, the Championship, League 1, League 2, even the levels below that again, we don't know when they're going to play again, when these players are going to be able to get a contract. So at the moment, we're spending a lot of time dealing with issues like that. And I mean, there's a perception that footballers have this amazingly glamorous lifestyle. So what kind of things are affecting players with regards to their mental health? Obviously, at the moment, it's very tricky, but generally, what can be... Um, a trigger for them? Uh, generally, I mean, in football, people kind of, you know, tend to forget that football is, a, first of all, is a very short-term career. I think that the last uh, survey that was done was that uh, the average career now is eight years. So it's very, very short-term, whereas you and I go into a career that could last forever if we want it to. Football is not along those lines, so players have that. At the moment, it's very much short-term contracts. They live year to year. And I'm not asking people to feel sorry for footballers in any way here because everybody at the moment has got, you know, all of these issues, no matter where you work. Yeah. Um, you know, but in, in football, it's, you know, it, it's an ongoing thing. It's like that constantly. You know, you have a contract 
you get a contract in July, you're really great. everything's going great up till Christmas, and then after Christmas you start to panic because you know that come May you're out of contract. Where's the next contract coming from? You've got injury worries. If you get an injury, you know that could put you out the game at any moment. So that that's incredibly stressful. Um, you have it's, it's a very unique career in that there's hmm. maybe 20, 24, 25 in a squad, but only. 11 of those people are ever going to get to do the job on a Saturday. So you either have the shirt and you're stressing about losing the shirt and somebody yeah. else coming in and taking place, or you're not playing and you're stressing about why you're not playing because the manager isn't speaking to you, isn't telling you why you're not playing perhaps. And you know, so you've got all of that going on as well. And why do you think players find it so difficult to speak out if they do have a problem? Is it because it's this competitive environment they're in and they're all expected to be manly men yeah i mean there, there is a there is a big element of the kind of you know, the, the macho you know the fit and healthy and they shouldn't have any you know they shouldn't have any problems but you know i, I think it's, it's always pointed out you know you have physical health and you have mental health and both need to be good you know when your physical health if you're injured and you can see it you know that there's an issue your mental health is broken and you're not feeling too good you know that's going to affect your physical health but i think there's also a fear amongst players and amongst athletes in general probably where by if they admit perhaps to a coach or a manager or whatever that they're not feeling great and they've maybe got an issue that there's a fear that the manager will just kind of like you know push them aside and not consider them for selection and you know by doing that that could actually harm things more because perhaps being on the pitch for that 90 minutes is their escape. There's been a few high profile players that have been speaking out about their mental health recently uh, most recently, Lee Hendry on the telly with that Harry's Heroes show. Do you think that that helps when high-profile players, you know, reach out to others and, and tell people that they've struggled? Absolutely, I think it does. I think not only does it help other players look at that and recognise and go, oh, that, that's me, that's how I'm feeling, or, you know, or maybe they, they recognise that in a teammate. But I think in general, in the, the general public, it makes people realise that these guys, you know, they kind of, they're, they're idolised, people look up to them and they realise that if they've got issues, you know, I can have issues too and it's okay. It is okay not to be okay. And the best thing you can do, just like Lee Hendry did, is talk about it to your pals, to the people that you're with. So what kind of advice is PFA Scotland giving to players to ease the stress and anxiety of the situation that they're now in? Because obviously no football and a large number of them out of contract. What are you telling these guys to do? Well, one of the big things that, that we're telling them, particularly with the out of contract players, is about um, planning for a second career, you know, getting something in, having a focus, because you know, for, for years we've been banging the drum about it and you know, eight years is your is your average career now, so you're gonna have to start planning. The sooner you plan, the less you know, it will take the stress out of the situation when you come to the end of football. So we've been putting on courses, online courses for them, IT courses, language courses, talking to them about jobs, um, going to recruitment companies and trying to find them stuff, particularly for the contract players that need a job right away, maybe delivery drivers, working for the postal service, whatever that might be. So we've been sending all of that out. We've been very much focusing on keeping in touch with each other through their WhatsApp group chats. All the clubs have them. So we're telling them if somebody's a bit quiet on the group chat, you know, give them a wee nudge, get in touch with them separately, ask them if they're okay. Just make sure that everybody's okay, particularly if you've got anybody that is living on their own. You know, and for anybody that is struggling really badly, we have a support service, which is a 24-7 confidential helpline that the players can contact. We work with um, Dr. John McLean at Hampton Sports Clinic on that one. So the player can text it, they can phone it, or um, and they will speak to get through to a doctor 
the doctor will have a chat with them and will then um, forward them on to one of our uh, network of counsellors, psychologists, we've got sports psychologists, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, all of that is completely confidential and completely free to the players so they know that that is there for them if they're really struggling. Wow, that is a, that is a lot. And, and how are you coping with this, Michelle? Because you're taking on a lot of everybody else's problems. Do you know what I mean? You know, how are you coping with your mental health when you're looking after how many players are on your books? We have um, 1,200 members. So, right, so you've yeah. got 1,200 people that might be turning to you if they're not feeling strong or they, that they have issues or they've got stress management issues. How are you coping with this? As a friend, you know that it's been it's been hard, and I won't lie that I've struggled myself with lockdown. It's been, and I've, I've said that to the players when I've sent out updates. You know, we keep in touch mm. with them every day, and I've written personal updates where I've said to them, you know, guys, look, I'm struggling. I have days when you know there's a few tears shed, and you feel really down, and you feel really lonely, and that's probably the point where I pick up the phone to my friends like yourself, and, you know, and have, have a chat. Um, that's when I turn to chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's when I force you to eat Freddo bars and any other chocolate <laughs> that may be out there. Um, I also, um, as you, again, as you know, I exercise. Exercise uh, is probably like a demon. <laughs> <laughs> has kept me mentally strong over this um, that's my it's always been my, my kind of stress release I'm, I'm a big gym person I can't go to the gym right now so I've been doing lots of um, online workouts that, which actually have been with um, one of the players who set up his own business Sam Wardrop I've been doing stuff with him which has been fantastic uh, but the exercise keeps me keeps me sane at the moment and I mean we have lots of different paths that people can go down you know we've talked to Tony at Breathing Space quite a few times in the show and obviously there's a website clearyourhead.scot is your best advice to anyone that might be struggling not footballers I'm talking anybody out there just to get in touch with somebody if they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed absolutely the best thing you can do and I know this from my own experience because I've not I wasn't always great at doing it is actually just reaching out and talking to someone you don't need to reach out to them and you know tell them right away you've got a problem but just talking to someone just mm. reaching out or somebody contacting you if you are sitting there and you think that you haven't heard from one of your friends for a couple of days and you're a bit worried about them text them pick up the phone whatever it might be you know you mentioned breathing space there Tony breathing space works with us wonderful guy you know breathing space is a fantastic um a, a fantastic service that is out there you know you've got through your head dot you know there, there's various there's Samaritans or Samich there's lots of them out there you know that are, that are that are there for you they're there to help you but I think the best thing you can do is pick up the phone speak to a family member speak to a friend just reach out it's okay not to be okay, so please do. Please, if you're ever struggling, pick up the phone. Michelle Evans, Head of Wellbeing at PFA Scotland. Thank you so much for joining me for a wee catch-up. Catch-up with Cat. We're in this together. I'm back tomorrow morning at 9.40 when Scotland's chef and MasterChef The Professionals winner, Gary McLean, has a genius way to stop your kids snacking. And I really hope that it works for big kids like me as well. Catch-up with Cat in association with the Scottish Government.